Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Austin Miller. I will be joined by Adam and Simon in just a minute. On today's show, we will break down the third phase of the Conmebol Libertadores, the final qualifying rounds before the group stage. Four teams going through to that group stage, which then will get started this next week. Here to break it down with me in Medellin, Colombia, is Simon Edwards. Simon, even when Colombian teams lose, they still go into other South American competitions like we saw with the Portes Tolima this week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't I don't think Tolima are very good. We'll talk about them in a minute. But at least we get to see more of Yamintan Campas on the continent, who is very good. So you've got that. And uh, yeah, more... More potential for Tolima to do something in the sort of money plan, I think. And joining me from Santiago, Chile, is Adam Brandon. Adam, how are you? Doing well? Yeah, good. Thanks, Austin. Over. Pretty happy that all four Chilean sides made it through in the Copa Sudamericana, um, even if there was some disappointment in the Libertadores, which we'll come on to in a bit. How are you doing, Austin? How's how's life in Argentina? I'm doing well, thanks. Surviving my first Argentine summer, uh, which I've found to be not as bad as North Carolina summer, so you can't be complaining. Adam, I hear a bit of Simon in your voice. In like three weeks, will we be hearing from you how the Sudamericana is really the only continental competition that matters in South America? Yeah, pretty much. I think, I think, I think that is the main competition of the two these days. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, let's start with the most impressive performance, not just in the third phase, but in all of the opening phases of this Libertadores. That's Barcelona de Guayaquil of Ecuador. A 4-0 win away from home against Cerro Porteño in the second leg sealed their spot in the group stage after a 1-0 win at home. Fidel Martinez, three goals in those two matches, and now a total of eight goals in this competition. That puts him well and truly in the golden boot race, considering Gabriel Barbosa of Flamengo, who won it last year, won it with nine. Simon, the underlying numbers on Barcelona may not have been that impressive in this second leg, only 29% possession. But a 4-0 win away from home against a capable team in Cerro Porteño. Let's not forget, they were quarterfinalists in this competition last year. This was impressive from Barcelona, and, and they've certainly shown that they're a force to be reckoned with in the group stage. Yeah, absolutely. I think something that we've looked at uh, a few times in the previous games is just the balance of the team. Um, it's just a very efficient, dynamic team that can can cover themselves well. They you know they limited Cerro Porteño, who had, as you say, dominated possession, but were limited to you know shots shots from distance, and they didn't have particularly a huge amount of clear chances despite the fact they got a lot of shots up on goal, you know, they weren't clear uh, goal-scoring opportunities. Whereas Barcelona scored four goals, had four shots on target, and they're just very quick and very efficient. You know, it's a 4-2-3-1. Diaz plays as the Diaz, as the 10. Um, fills in and picks up the ball, makes things happen. The Martinez is, is on either wing. Uh, Leonardo on the left and uh, Fidel, who's particularly good on the right. And, and he looked like a real step above. He looked like... Back in the Libertadores, he knows the competition and he's just looking very, very comfortable. Jonathan Alves up top. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very quick, dynamic, organised Barcelona team that has good balance. Uh, Pinatares and Marquez sitting in front of the defence. You know, they don't dominate possession, but when they have a chance, they're very incisive. Uh, with often three players running on at goal and they'll, they'll pull it across and, and put it away really nicely. So 
they do look very good. Cerro Porteño, again, is a big club, big popular supporter, home, a team with good quality, good organisation, but it was the it was the pace and the incision of, of Barcelona on the break that really cut them to pieces in this game. Adam, what did you think of Barcelona? You've been a big fan so far, no? Yeah, I feel that, um, that they've been pretty clinical and, and efficient. You know, we were, we were talking before the pod um, that, you know, the stats of this game certainly... Um, seemed to show sort of Sarah or Daniel dominating it and um, and yeah Barcelona just taking their chances but when watching the game it did feel that Barcelona had a certain amount of control for me and and if we look back to the first leg um, you know Barcelona was, was certainly the better side in that one and I felt they should have won that game by two or three goals anyway so I think over the course of the two legs Barcelona certainly deserve to go through, and I, and I, and I, and I still think that they proved to be a dangerous side, mainly because at the moment Fidel Martinez is just a level above anything else we've seen in the competition so far. Yeah, and Adam, that's one thing that uh, our colleague Tom Robinson said to us. I think way back in the first phase of this competition uh, is that Fidel Martinez might just be too good for the Libertadores. And it certainly felt like that in, in these two legs, and it's felt like that so far. Eight goals in six matches is, a, is an incredible tally for sure. Simon, looking ahead for Barcelona, they now go into Group A, which is a very attractive group in the Libertadores. You've got the defending champions, Flamengo, who we know all about. You've got the defending Sudamericana champions in Independiente del Valle, a very good, uh, with a great story in and of themselves. And then you've got Junior of Colombia, who are also in Group A, which is pretty much the nicest thing you can say about them. Um, but what do you make of, of this group, maybe, and, and more generally with Barcelona, but then also maybe how Junior fit in? Yeah, it will be interesting. And look, Junior have good players. They've got Miguel Borja. You know, one, he was a favorite of yours at one point. I don't know if you've lost, lost some of best the striker. love for him. I, I, believe, I believe I'm quoted as, as calling him the best striker in world football on multiple occasions. Exactly. So, you know, let's not talk them down too much. Now, I think Junior have good football players, but they always have good football players. Um, and, I, and I think uh, Victor Cantillo would be a big miss for Junior, who really, you know, he made more passes than any other player in last year's Libertadores group stage. He's always picking it up and moving it, and they don't have that. So they have good attackers. They have some fairly good defenders. They've got a decent goalkeeper, but can they connect the two? I don't know. They won 3-2 in the last minute yesterday against Jaguares. Three goals is nice, but... Simon, never never is... good to give up multiple goals to a team named after an animal in Colombia, right? <laughs> exactly. That's always you know, the rule of thumb. Don't, don't concede against animals. Um, so, Junior is a big club with big players, but it doesn't look good in this group for me. I think Flamengo are full of quality. Barcelona... As we've said, very efficient. I think it will suit them well on the road. I think they will come unstuck if they can't find that efficiency, if they can't convert those few key chances that they've been creating. Um, but they're going to be dangerous. If you pin them back, it's just going to give them space to break on the counter. And then depending on Ted Del Valle, a, a good team in South American football now. Uh, we, you know, At some point, we'll have to stop calling them underdogs despite being a tiny club with very few fans in a tiny little stadium. They're, they're establishing themselves. Uh, the Copa Libertadores U20 final as well. So there's obviously some more youngsters coming through. So I, I think 
Junior might be a bit pedestrian against these dynamic quality teams in this group, and I think they might struggle a bit. But uh, yeah, I think Flamengo uh, are the favourites, and then the two Ecuadorians will be battling out for second, I think, and uh, Junior will perhaps flatter deceive a little bit. We'll have to see. Adam, for you, this group, I know you've seen a lot of Del Valle, you've seen a lot of Barcelona, obviously you know Flamengo well. What do you kind of make of this? I think the only team I would be tempted to rule out at this stage are are Junior. I think it could be quite a tight battle for second in the group between Independiente, Del Valle and Barcelona. Um, As I said in my preview for for the Commonwealth website, Independiente de Valle's ability um, to sort of pick up surprise results um, on the road um, could, could prove the difference here. Um, although Barcelona have obviously showed as well, you know, they can be pretty um, effective and efficient on, on the road too. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult one to call second place in this group for me between the two Ecuadorian sides. Pretty sure Flamengo will win We'll win the group fairly comfortably, um, especially after what we saw in the Recopa Sudamericana during the week. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, if if I'm pushed, then if Fidel Martinez can stay fit, I think they might just sneak second ahead of Independiente de Bay. Simon, let's move on to our second tie to break down, and that was Independiente Medellin going through on penalties against Atletico Tucumán, a 1-0 win for them at home, a 1-0 loss away from home, but they were true from the spot, Simon. Four penalties from the Colombians, all four finding the back of the net with relative ease. Uh, A miss for Tucumán, some good goalkeeping from Medellín, and they're in to the group stage. Maybe not in impressive fashion, but they're there, right? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the most important thing. I think in this second leg, they set out um, a bit more defensively or at least uh, focusing on counter-attacking. Uh, and it did kind of draw some pressure. I think in the second half, they brought on uh, Reina, who's been one of their more impressive players, who's more of a technical passing player. Uh, they didn't want to risk having both Ricalte and Reina on the pitch from the start. They wanted to be more pacey and responsive, but... Yeah, well, as soon as Reina came on for Balanta, who's been very disappointing for Medellin, there was a real step up in quality. Uh, they definitely drew the pressure in the first half and uh, Leonardo Heredia with a nice volley to put Tucumán ahead. Um, but that kind of broke Medellin up. I think uh, I think if, if the goal had come a bit later, perhaps Medellin wouldn't have recovered. By conceding early, they realised, OK, we have, to, we have to play some football now. Let's, you know, there's nothing to fear from this Tucumán side. They were definitely much better at home, Tucumán, and, and I think they were probably better over the 90 minutes. Um, Medellin did uh, grab a bit more control, as I say, with Reina coming on. Um, but yeah, I think I think a draw was about was about right uh, on the evening, and obviously it came from a Medellin home win, uh, an aggregate draw, and then the penalty shootout. Again, this Medellin side it relies on Ricalte and uh, Reina to play the passes. Uh, Mosquera would look good. Delgado was pretty good on the, uh, from right back. Um, so there's this quality there. Arregui is solid. Angolo's a bit up and down uh, alongside him, defensive midfield. Caicedo, the focal point target man, can be excellent and can be pretty poor. Not the best finisher. So again, it's it's uh, it's a it's a couple of real quality players in with a bunch of largely you know athletic, dynamic players. Uh, Caravid, the big centre back. Mosquera in goal. 
is agile, but can sometimes look a little bit unconvincing on crosses in particular. So, again, I think it's a solid Medellin side that will go into a group that they could perhaps fancy their chances of being competitive in. But it does come down to Caicedo being effective up front and uh, Reina and Ricardo playing those passes in behind. But we've seen the good and the bad of Medellin. I think this week we saw Medellin dig in and get the results. So that's that's at least positive because the week before against the Venezuelans, they were amazing and then they were terrible. So, you know, maybe this bodes a bit more positively digging out a result against a, a decent, if fairly limited, Argentine side. Adam, Simon mentioned that them will maybe fancy their chances of getting out of Group H. Boca Juniors headlined the group. Uh, prevailing wisdom would suggest they'll go through probably in first place. Libertad and Dim then are joined by Caracas of Venezuela. Adam, do you think Dim can get out of this Group H? Yeah, I think I think it's probably going to be between them and Libertad for the second place in this group. Um, we saw Libertad last season um, prove pretty effective. Um, in, in, in the group stage, I remember, you know, they had their, they had a crucial um, away match um, against Universidad Católica on match day four of the Libertadores last year, and they came away with a with a three-two victory. Um, they fell behind in that game and then and then turned it around. They were winning three. three 3-1 until about the 94th minute as well so it was fairly comfortable for them in the end and um, and yeah that was the key result in that group really um, as uh, as they managed to as they managed to edge edge through edge out Catolica who who had been looking the stronger side in, in that group until that point um, so yeah I if I if I if I if I was pushed again, you know, I'd probably edge towards the Paraguayans to, to make it through. I haven't been too impressed by what I've seen from Dim so far in the in the, in the competition, and um, and it looks like um, uh, that Poca Juniors will will probably quite comfortably win the group, and um, yeah, I'd say those are you know it's two two of those three from what I've seen and heard. Simon, let's switch focus now to a less than stellar result for for a Colombian side. A 1-0 loss for Deportes to Lima away against Internacional after a 0-0 draw at home. A result that sends Internacional into the group stage, sets up a Gremio-Internacional clash for the first time in the Libertadores in that group alongside America the Cali returning to the Libertadores and the best side in Chile five years running, basically, at Universidad Católica. So it's a great group. We'll get to that in a minute. But, Simon, again, Internacional just kind of did barely enough to go through without really impressing. It's probably unfair to say that Tolima deserved better out of this tie, but it certainly could have been better for them, No. Yeah, it's definitely a, a missed opportunity for Tolima. And I, and I say that, uh, as, but I don't think they had the quality to necessarily take advantage of the opportunity. So I don't know what that means. But basically, Internacional were, were poor, was, was, was pedestrian. It was very slow. Uh, you know, Guerrero up front does his best and there's D'Alessandro. But again, he's, he's not got the legs he used to have. And just the build-up play for Internacional was very, very pedestrian. And the goal they scored was a huge mistake from Quinones. Uh, D'Alessandro should have been miles offside, but Quinones was looking the other way. 
played him on side. Then he had time. He did really well to beat his man and pull it across uh, for Paulo Guerrero to finish in the box. But that was the difference. And then after that, uh, De Alessandro with a with a red card. But throughout the game, whenever Tolima did attack with a bit of pace and a bit of intention, I mean, they looked like they might score. Um, well, looked like they should score. <laughs> that was the, that was the issue. Uh, it was the quality in the final third that they were really lacking. They started again with a, a three midfield. It was Campas coming from the right. Jamington Campas is the man for Tolima. Everything good came through him. And if there was another Jamington Campas on the team, they probably would have had a, a decent chance of getting a goal. Chances came late on, and people have given them a lot of credit, Tolima, for going so close against Internacional. But from my perspective, it's just a shame they they weren't better. They didn't have more quality because, again, we've said this before, but Internacional were very flat and were there for the taking, I think, uh, in this game. Particularly after the red card, it was it was wide open and Tolima had the legs, they had the energy, uh, but they just didn't have the quality to, to play that final pass. Um, it's a shame for Campas. The tournament won't really miss Tolima, but I think Campas could have been a story in this, in this competition. A, a player, I think, is... Uh, destined for a big European move in the summer. Uh, shame we couldn't enjoy him more, but as a team, you know, Tolima worked hard and they were quick and they, and they had a few moments, but just the, the decisive pass. If they had a Fidel Martinez or a, or a Diaz in there, they, they definitely could have opened up Internacional. But again, the Internacional go through. Uh, they'll go into the groups and I'm sure they'll surprise us again with the results, uh, if not the performances. Adam, that story from this tie sounds vaguely familiar, no? For Internacional? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, it's, and it'll be repeated later when we talk about the Palestino game as well. Um, but, yeah, found uh, Internacional, um, again, quite fortunate to go through. I, I said that a lot last year about them. In the past, I've, I've quite appreciated the football that Eduardo Codet tries to play. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed watching his Rosario Central side, especially in 2016, and uh, and yeah, his, uh, his his racing side was quite good to watch. But yeah, I think um, the international players are still trying to adjust to his to his methods. I, I noticed both in the game against one of us, uh, the Chile, and in the game um, and in the games against um, Tolima, they don't look 100 percent comfortable playing out from the back um, I think that is something that um, that the other teams in this group will look to exploit um, and yeah I, I think this is one of this is probably the most fiercely contested group um, in, in the in the Libertadores um, we've got you know you've got that gaucho derby between Gremio and um, Internacional uh, that could that could prove a distraction for both of those sides in the group as well. They might be a bit too focused on on that meeting. I believe it's the it's the first time the two sides will meet um, in the in in the Libertadores. And Catolica, I feel, have one of the one of the best head coaches on the continent in the shape of uh, Ariel Holland. So. Yeah, I'm. I'm very hopeful that Catolic can, can make it through um, from this group. Uh, I said. I said. I remember saying that last year, but I do feel that they have a better team and a better manager this time around. Even if this is a slightly more difficult group, and I do feel that this international side are certainly beatable. Haven't seen too much of America, the Cali, 
I think um, I think yeah, it's I think that Gremio will probably win the group, and then yeah, it's going to be a really interesting battle between um, International Cotolica and, and and America. Simon, you of course have seen plenty of America to Cali. Back in the Libertadores, I know this is a big story in Colombia. Uh, they're back after some time away. They're back in the first division. Champions of Colombia, they will certainly feel like they can add a lot to this group, and, and they'll certainly view themselves with a chance of getting out as well, no? Yeah, obviously, first time back in a, in a long, long time. Um, that's an event in itself, but I think they do have a, a good system, a good balance. When they were promoted, it was very much you know, plugging the holes and staying competitive. But very quickly, they've transitioned that core solid base into something quite interesting and quite dynamic. Uh, They play a 4-3-3. The free midfields uh, are quite conservative. Carlos Sierra, the Venezuelan, is in there as well in the midfield. Someone we we enjoyed a few years ago. And it's a a good side. You know, the fullbacks push on. Arrieta's there now, a former Envigado player, very highly rated attacking fullback. And then the front three, Michael Rangel is the focal point. Duvan Vergara, who popped up in last year's Libertadores with a nice goal, but is back to his very, very best and was linked with some big, big moves, but decided to stay and play for America, a team he, he really supports. Um, wanted to stay at America for the Libertadores, and, and he'll be interesting from the left, a bit of a, a, bit of a budget Neymar with his, with his tricks and his elasticity and you know, floating about. Uh, Michael Rangel's a bit of a budget Giroud and Adrian Ramos is Adrian Ramos, a player who's played 10 years in Europe and has done well in Germany with Dortmund, one of the top goal scorers in Europe at one point. Uh, not quite uh, as dynamic as he once was, but a, a good player as a support striker. So America de Cali looked like a well-balanced team as well. So I think they will be will be interesting in this group. And I have definitely fancy America up against Internacional, but I think to fancy everyone who faces Internacional and they somehow seem to dig in and get, get the results. So it will be definitely very interesting, that group. Uh, you know, I, th- I think Gremio, as you say, probably the favourites, but you know, from what I've heard about Católica and uh, you know, what I like about America and Internacional having some big names for the big occasions, even if they're not the most exciting, uh, they definitely can get the results when it matters. So it will be, I think, a very, very interesting group. Quick note on on Gremio, uh, since you guys have both pegged them as the team you think most likely to win this group. They haven't started their 2022 terribly well, uh, with the caveat that it is the state leagues and teams evermore are starting to kind of treat those state leagues as kind of glorified warm-up tournaments. Uh, We've seen Gremio be very good in this competition. Uh, Luan has moved on. He was part of the Corinthian side. They went out to Guarani in the second phase of this competition. But Everton is, is still there. Jean Pierre coming up through the midfield uh, at Gremio is, is another name to keep an eye on. They've seemingly potentially fixed uh, their problem in goal uh, by bringing in Vanderlei from Santos. That's a very good signing uh, for my money. And then, of course, Kahneman and Pedro Jermel are, are still in defense. So certainly a lot to consider with this Gremio side, even if the start maybe hasn't been great in 2020. The talent in all of that is, is still there to make a lot of noise in this group. And, and like you guys said, uh, this is a great group. I'm really excited for it. You've, you've got the big Brazilian derby. I like what you said, Adam, that that could prove to be a detriment for both Gremio and Internacional. The focus on that first time in Libertadores is going to be a big occasion. Uh, but then two very good teams, champions of their respective countries in Catalica and America de Cali. I think this group is one that, that we'll certainly be able to, to see a lot of drama out of. And, and every single match in this group, I think, has something going for it and, and should be quite yeah, entertaining. I, I just feel like it's, it, it should be really watchable, this, this group. 
uh, with, with all things considered. Let's stick with you, Adam, and break down the final tie that we've yet to talk about. Guarani going through to Group B. They knock out Corinthians in the second phase after coming through from the first phase. Quick note, two sides actually go through all three phases of qualification to make the group stage. That's the first time that any side had ever been able to do that in Barcelona and Guarani. And then Adam, a 2-1 win for Guarani after going behind at home. They won the first leg after being reduced to 10 men away from home, 1-0. Rodney Redes scoring for Guarani. And then Redes had the goal that ended up sealing qualification. But they actually went behind at home, but then took advantage of a defensive miscue to send Palestino out of the competition and Guarani into Group B. Adam, a bitter pill to swallow for Guarani because it felt like they should have had more here. Yeah, I was, uh, I was pretty gutted, uh, to be honest. Um, Palestino, first off, I, I do feel that Palestino were pretty unfortunate in this tie. Not so much on the pitch, but we will get on to, to, to that in a bit. But just the fact that they didn't have a fully fit uh, Luis Jimenez um, in, in, in the second leg, nor any kind of, of Luis Jimenez in, 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 in the first leg. Um, yeah, he, he was out injured for that, and, and he was clearly only sort of about 60% fit for the, for the second leg. Um, and, I, and I do feel that really put pay to their chances um, in, in this tie. Um, there probably isn't many teams in the tournament that would cope well without their firing away the, the best player in their side, especially in, in the qualifying stages. Um, so, yeah, that was a big disappointment even before this, uh, this tie began, that, that, he, that their top playmaker was missing. Um, but in the first leg, you know, Palestina did have a chance. They had one hour against ten men to score. They couldn't. They ended up conceding a goal um, towards the end of the first half of that, of that game, leaving far too much space at the back for for the wonderfully named uh, Rodney Redes to, to exploit. Probably Guarani's most impressive player over the two legs. Um, Back to the first leg, you know, I, I was in I was in the stadium for that, and um, yeah, it was infuriating to see in the second half of that game, um, especially Palestino just constantly crossed the ball high into the box. Um, the the Guarani defenders just lapped that up all night. Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast earlier today and, and they were talking of, uh, of, of a heading ban in football coming into place um, across sort of youth football in, in, in the UK, in the US and, and in Europe I think but I think Paraguay might be the last place um, on earth that that ban reaches uh, I think uh, I think they enjoy heading far too much there to, to ever consider a ban but yeah the, the second leg was, was a very different game um, and I thought that Palestino were basically the better side for 50 minutes and uh, they were level on the tie looking the more likely to go to go through after uh, Leandro Benegas had put them 1-0 up after a brilliant move by Palestino from, from one end of the pitch to the other just before half time they came out in the second half looking, looking good they almost made it 2-0 and then suddenly out of the Blue, bam, two 
inexplicable errors from Sergio Felipe, Uruguayan centre back that they signed over over Chilean summer transfer window. And yeah, in the space of two seconds, he he basically gifted Guarani the equaliser with. Yeah, the first mistake he made was he tried to sort of boot it clear on the volley. Instead, it went behind him, sort of span behind him, and then instead of just trying to control it, he definitely had time, even though uh, Bovedia was behind him. He then inexplicably just tried to sort of head it back to the goalkeeper, like did this diving header, weak diving header attempt back to the goalkeeper. The, the ball fell short, and uh, and yeah, and Bovedia. Um, nipped in to, to score. Um, yeah, yeah, just talking about it now has got me wound up again, to be honest. It, it was just so frustrating. And the fact I'd already seen Universidad de Chile do it in the previous round against Internacional, as we mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, basically an unforced error at the back, costing them the tie. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and I just think back to those moments and think, you know, maybe on different days. Universidad de Chile and Palestino force penalty shootouts in those ties and maybe at least one of them goes through but yeah I'm, I'm not saying either either of the Chilean sides deserve to get out of these uh, qualifying rounds but I do believe with a bit more focus from their defenders they they, they could have had um, yeah Guarani ended up winning uh, the second leg as well late on uh, with, uh, with Palestino pushing on but um, trying to find uh, goals get back in the game and Palestina were also reduced to 10 men with 20 minutes to go which which pretty much killed off their hopes so yeah it's uh, it, it's pretty frustrating but I, I'd have certainly liked to have seen um, this tie played with Palestino having their best 11 available to them well and Adam one of the things that's so frustrating about it I think is you look at this group B that Guarani goes into and I think it's fair to say that it might be the weakest group in the Libertadores, although Group F may have a, a, a claim to that as well. But you've got Palmeiras, who are the biggest name in this group. But then the, the, the pot two team in this group is Bolivar, who are in pot two mainly because they made the semifinals in this competition in 2014. You've got Tigre, who are aside in the second division from Argentina. Who are in? Who were in? You know, pot three because they had a run in this competition in 2013. It's a wide open group, and Guarani going into it now will feel that they've got every chance to get out of it. And Palestino would have felt the same way. Yeah, definitely. And and if you think back to the group that Palestino got last year when they made it for a really tough qualifying round, probably qualifying rounds tougher than this year. Um, and, uh, and then they were rewarded with a tough group as well. Yeah, it feels like, yeah, they, they really could have made a bit of an impression on this, on this tournament. The other thing I'll mention about Palestino, you know, they did lose their top goal scorer just before this season started as well. And I feel that they, didn't, they haven't really replaced him. And there's been quite a lot of criticism from the fact that Palestino didn't invest more in their squad ahead of, uh, ahead of this Libertadores campaign. And, has ended up falling short and of course because they lost both the games they didn't even fall into the Sudamericana even though I feel they, they were probably two of the, two of the better sides um, in, in, the, in the qualifying rounds but yeah one of the better sides in the qualifying round but yeah well, that's how it goes as, as, as for how, group, how I see Group B 
going. Um, I think um, I think Pat Palmeiras. It's difficult to see them not um, advancing in this group. I do feel that Guarani will will actually give them quite a battle for for top spot in this group. Um, I, I do feel that they are a very you know, I've saw, saw them close up in person. You know, I was right. I had a seat right next to right, right next to the pitch for that first leg against Palestina. And the one thing which struck me about Guarani was how physical and how big their players were. Um, and uh, and and they and they and, and they didn't. And quite a few of them were quick as well with it. Um, yeah, you know, they weren't. They weren't a particularly slow side. So I can see them really giving. Palmeiras a couple of difficult games in this group and I think they're going to be very strong at home um, I, can, I can potentially see them winning all their home games so yeah for me um, Palmeiras and, and Guarani to go through in this group and uh, and perhaps Guarani to spring a surprise and, and, and win the group as well. For me I'm all in on the, the Bolivar train uh, which should surprise listeners of this podcast absolutely none uh, but I'd love to see Bolivar go through and go on another magical run like they did in 2014. But enough for my love of, of Bolivar. Adam, the other side in this group is a story quite as well with Tigre. Again, as I mentioned earlier, in the Argentine second division, relegated by virtue of the Promedios here in Argentina, which see relegation played out over a number of years rather than just one. They were actually quite good last year, and they were good enough to win the Copa de la Superliga. Uh, the competition that happens after the Super League. And now they're in the Libertadores, but playing in the second division, which, Adam, is is actually something we've seen before in this competition. Yeah, it is. Uh, your beloved Primeros, I, I think, have done it before. Um, and uh, and, and yeah, I think there's been a couple other examples as well. But what I wanted to touch on here is, yeah, I saw their Copa de la Superliga triumph um, last year, I saw a couple of the games um, in that, and also when they were fighting relegation, they were quite decent to watch during that. But this is quite a different side to that now. Uh, Walter Montiel, for example, he's he's now here in Chile, um, one of the best playmakers, um, certainly in the in the in the southern cone, I think, of, of, of South America, and um, and yeah, he'll be really missed as will the, the top scorer. For them last year, Federico Gonzalez. So, um, yeah, a couple of their more impressive performers um, missing from that team. And yeah, I, I'd be surprised if, if they were able to to, to, ma- to match the quality of, of Guarani and Palmeiras in this group. Uh, but yeah, they, they might pick up a, a win or two at home. Though. Simon, we've touched on now the the four groups that we see teams coming into from the opening phases. Of the four groups that we that we haven't touched on, which actually don't contain any Colombian sides, is there any group that that maybe sticks out most to you? Yeah, for me, um, I'm looking forward to particularly. I think uh, Group D looks very interesting. Obviously, uh, River Plate is a team we all know a lot about. Juan Fernando Quintero there is a great playmaker, but a team full of quality who play some really good, attractive football. Unlucky to to lose late in last year's Libertadores final. Obviously, we'll be one of the favourites again this year. Alongside a Sao Paulo team that's that's back and is, is full of huge names and huge stars. 
Alexandre Pato there up front. Danny Alves, who was incredible at the Copa America. For me, the best player. How did playing. you go with Alexandre Pato ahead of Danny Alves? Sao Paulo full of huge stars. And the first name you pull out is Alexandre Pato? I feel like hey, Danny Alves is the story here, man. Yeah, well, obviously, but you know, Pato was like one of the best players in the world a few years ago. I'm just, I'm just happy to see him scoring two goals against Oisti, who have a flamingo crest apparently. So you know, he's back. He's back. Pato is back. The duck is back. I would have probably gone Juan Fran ahead of Alessandro Pato as well, but I respect your decision. Anyway, continue he's on. A, Sorry, he's he's a boring fullback. Alexander Alexander Pato is back. Trust me. Trust me, he's going to be the his golden ball is still is still on the cards. Um, they've also got Anthony, who there was a very good uh, scouting spotlight podcast just came out. Check that one out. A really interesting winger, uh, Arboleda, a good defender. You know, it's a team full of full of big names. Brenner, who is a, a wonder kid, who I think is rubbish, but we'll see. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. Uh, a striker who's been heavily hyped for years, and I think it's a bit rubbish, but <laughs> a huge amount of quality in the Sao Paulo scene. Um, they. Uh, back in the Libertadores, we'll see. They, they, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how they do. Again, Binacional with an awful logo. Um, looks like it's been drawn by a 12-year-old, uh, but a team playing at extreme altitude with a bit of money and Peruvian champions will be will be interesting to see what they can do in the competition. And LDU of Quito, who again are being, uh, I've heard good things about. Uh, they've got a Colombian striker, which is always nice. So. Uh, we'll have to see, but it looks like an interesting group uh, with two giants and uh, a couple of uh, a couple of smaller teams, perhaps, who definitely feel that they can maybe do some damage with the altitude, a bit of pace from LDU. You know, I think it's going to be an interesting group. The altitude for me is what makes this group so interesting. Um, Quito not being punished by the altitude of playing away against Binacional, like Sao Paulo and River might. I think this is a really intriguing group. And I think it's it's maybe one match away from things getting really complicated for either River or Sao Paulo. River uh, dealing with their league run-in here in Argentina, which should wrap up fairly quickly. But again, one match could could kind of swing this from pretty straightforward River-Sao Paulo 1-2 to, to wide open for, for probably for Liga and Nacional. But you never know. Uh, Adam, I know of the groups, I figure your mind is, is probably on Group C here with Peñarol, Colo-Colo. Atletico Paranaense, and of course, podcast hero, podcast legend, South American football legend, uh, King Eddie Zinteno and Jorge Wilsterman. Yeah, as soon as this draw was made, I was waiting days to see when the the fixture list will come out, eagerly awaiting to see when um, King Eddie will be in Santiago, and uh, and unfortunately. Um, I'm going to have to wait a while because I think that's the last game, if memory serves me right, it is in, in this it. group, isn't it? <laughs> so it could yeah. be a big one between Colo Colo and, uh, and King Eddie's Wilsterman. Uh, maybe that will be um, a bit of a playoff to go through into the next round in this group. Although I think this is potentially one of the weaker groups because you've got a Benyoral side who are in pretty poor form in, in Uruguay under under Diego Forlan. Um, he's still in a job, right? <laughs> I've missed that he's been sacked or something. Yeah, um, yes, yeah. still in a job. Um, and they also signed the Hungarian Christian Vavoc, who right, apparently okay. had some sort of connection to Forlan. So I don't know. Right, okay. And, um, and Colo Colo have already sacked their coach after, after five defeats um, 
in a, is it five? No, sorry, four defeats in a row um, in, in in the league. Um, and uh, and yeah, whilst the man, you know, we've seen them blow a little bit hot and cold in Liverpool stories over the years. Um, certainly, <laughs> certainly cold away from home sometimes. I think it's fair to say. Um, and we've been pretty impressed with Atletico Paranense, and yes, it is meant to be pronounced Atletico as well. Don't get in touch. Um, so um, yeah, I feel that the Brazilian side probably win this group and then it could be a case of you know the, the best of the three worst sides coming coming second um, it'd be interesting who Colo Colo appoint at the time um, of this podcast being recorded which is Saturday afternoon 29th February it looks like um, Scolari is actually favourite to take over uh, Colo Colo um, the rumours of, of that appointment are getting stronger, um, and, and that and that would be interesting to see, to say, to say the least. That would certainly be the biggest appointment they've made in well over a decade um, at Colo Colo. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I really wouldn't like to call second place in, in, in this group either. But I think Atletico Paranaense are an obvious winner of it, unless Colo Colo can get their act together. Um, as for as for other groups that I'm really looking forward to, I've already spoken about Group E with Universidad Católica in it. Um, but you know, Group A as well. That that, that group with Flamengo, Independiente de Vera Junior, and um, Barcelona looks really enticing as well. Um, looking forward to see seeing uh, Racing under Sebastián Becasechi um, in in Group F. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, I, I think that's I, I think that's it really. Obviously, we've got the attraction of Emmanuel Adebayor in Group G with with Olympia. That that, that could be pretty interesting as well. Um, he he missed a he missed a decent chance to win the big derby against uh, Sarah Bordenio, um on his debut for for Olympia. Cross came in, got his head onto it, but it just went the wrong side of wrong side of the post um, I saw that he's been rested out for, for this weekend's league game so I think uh, I think we can expect him to part, partner Roque Santa Cruz up front in their, in their opener this, this coming week. Um, how about you Austin, is there, is there anything particular you're looking forward to and also for a little bit of fun who do we think will be the worst side um, in, in, in this group stage um, which team can you see potentially not getting any point, uh, points or, or maybe just one or two? So I will start with your second question because it's actually a very intriguing question. I think looking at it as far as the quality of the 32 sides involved, I think Estudiantes de Merida are probably the side that I would say is the worst side in this group stage. However, they've been handed what might be the worst overall group in this group stage which is group f uruguayan giant and nacional in part one because of what they've done in the past not what they can do now the defending argentine champions in rossing an actually good squad and then alianza lima from peru who have just been atrocious in this competition they've failed to win i don't know the exact number but i think it's in the last five or six years they've not won a single libertadores match 
So I think Marita might be the worst side, but I think they can probably get something because their group is so bad. Caracas are probably up there as well in Group H. I think the two Venezuelan sides are probably the sides that are a cut below everybody else. Although I wouldn't be surprised if Defensa and Justicia from Argentina in Group G really struggle as I kind of shift into talking about your first question, because that Group G is, is actually pretty exciting. Uh, you've got the Ecuadorian champions in, in Delphine. You've got Santos, who are, of course, a, a name in this competition, uh, still kind of transitioning under their new manager. And then you've got the main attraction in Olympia with Adebayor. They've dominated the league in, in Paraguay for a number of years now. It's time for them to do something on the continental stage, I think, is the feeling for them. So Group G, pretty intriguing to me. Simon, for you, worst side in this competition and, and anything you'd like to add on, on the truly scintillating Group Group F? Uh, group F? Uh, no, not particularly. I think Group G looks more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being honest this time. I could have just blagged it. But no, not particularly interested in Group F. But I think Group G does look quite exciting. Defence and justice against the Dolphins. Um, but again, both two interesting teams who've kind of emerged in recent years. In terms of the team that might get the least points, yeah, I don't say it too loud, but Junior only scored one goal last year, and I think they might be worse than this year, and their group's a lot better. So that's not that's not great. I think Group B, yeah, there's a lot of um, agricultural teams potentially in that group. Palmeiras, despite being quite good, can also be quite ugly. Um, and there's a second division Argentine team, a Bolivian side, and a Guarani, who, as Adam mentioned, are quite physical. So that will be an interesting one. Um, be national. I, I don't know what to expect really, but they they won the league and altitude, so I think they might pick up a few points. But we'll see. Adam, who do you think are going to get going to get zero potentially points in this in this Libertadores? It's not necessarily a reflection on on the team itself. It's more a reflection on just how difficult their group is. But Deportivo um, Binacional of Peru are in uh, absolutely horror group, really. There with River Plate, Sao Paulo, and Liga de Quito, um, three you know past winners of the of, of the competition, um, that will in itself be pretty intimidating. Um, but yeah, they might be able to pick up some results at home there to, to save them. But yeah, I, I think I'll probably go with um, Austin's uh, first thought, which was Estudiantes de Merida of, um, of, of of Venezuela, who. You know, looking through the, the previews and, and, and the stats uh, with this competition, I feel like, yeah, that's the side probably to get least excited about in the competition. Um, Caracas, maybe, in, in Group H as well. Yeah, you, you could see it going bad, bad, badly wrong for them as well. Simon, I appreciated your analysis on, on Binacional, which was, if I remember this correctly... They won the Peruvian League at altitude, which, you know what, do you really need to know anything else about them, aside from the crest, I suppose, the logo, as you already mentioned? I thought you were going to mention about the badge. That was, I thought his main analysis was that the badge wasn't up well, to... Well, that too, yeah. Limited, limited that's, what, that's what caught my eye initially, obviously. I was drawn in by the... Are they ferrets? They, yeah, them, well, this is the big debate, really, we need on the pod. What animal is on that badge? Because I stared at it for minutes the other day, <laughs> trying to work out what the what the two twins animals are, and, uh, and I'm still not a hundred percent sure even now. 
I'm pretty confident they're Panthers. I'm pretty confident in that. Although Simon called them dogs on Twitter this week, which I think we can. Uh, I think we're pretty sure they're not dogs, Simon. Uh, they might be dogs, but it's like it's not like it's a good picture. It's not like a photo. That'll do it for this edition of the South American Football Show. Before we call it an episode, I wanted to give the guys a chance to plug anything that they have. But before they do, I did want to plug. Adam touched on it earlier. I think as did Simon. A big English language Libertadores preview over on the official website, copalibertadores.com slash en, or you can find it on Twitter at the Libertadores or on Facebook by liking con- the Conval Libertadores page. Previews on all 32 teams in the group stage from experts around the continent. Adam and Simon took part, as did plenty of other names familiar to those of you who have been around the World Football Index for some time. I would like to say thank you to everybody who took part in that. I think it's a really good project. I think it turned out – I'm really happy with how it turned out, and I hope that that you, the listeners and readers, enjoy that as well. Adam, anything in particular you'd like to plug before we call it a show? No, nothing Nothing I'd like to plug, really. Um, but what I would like to point out is that it's two Pumas on the Deportivo Binacional badge. Um, so, yeah, mystery solved. Not dogs – um, but not ferrets, but pubes. And, uh, yeah, and, it, and if you haven't seen it, it's certainly worth a look. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at AdamBrandon84. Simon, for you, are you taking the news that they're, they're pumas? Are you taking that at face value and in plugs? Well, I was quite looking forward to calling them the the Peruvian ferrets in the year's competition, but apparently the Peruvian Pumas will, will have to do. Um, yeah, no, happy, happy, happy with that. That's fine. That's, that's what they want to be. That's what they can be. No problem. No issue. Uh, all right. Yeah. So on Twitter at Simon Edwards, SAS. Um, yeah. I, I featured in that, in that preview as well. So go check it out and also check out the Scout and Spotlight pods. People ask me um, if, if I have any recommendations for South American stuff and obviously this show, but apart from this, the, the Scout and Spotlight pods are always really, really good. And timeless until they're until they're wrong. But uh, for the time being, uh, Anthony is the latest one, and that's a good one. So there you go. Plug for you, Austin. Thank you. Appreciate it. I neglected to do my duty in plugging that. You've well, got a, you've got a, you've got a new tagline there for the scouting spotlight, Austin. Timeless until they're wrong. I, I yeah. I think we'll have to run with that. Stay tuned for the next edition of the Scouting Spotlight when when we prove that point. <laughs> Exactly. Timeless until they're wrong. I like it, Simon. I like it. (laughs) That'll do it for this week's edition of the show. Thank you to you, the listeners, for choosing this podcast. We'll be back for more in just a little bit. Thanks for listening and goodbye.